Well, hello and welcome to this week's A Photographic Life. I saw a post recently that said this. You will never convince me that the hardest part of studio photography is anything besides which is the correct knob to adjust the head of the tripod. The comment was followed by a number of waspish and, from my perspective, ignorant confirming comments. The comment was made by a documentary photographer whose website has a section described as commercial that features a large amount of highly produced and post-produced still-life images, but not studio-based portraits. The comments were made by documentary photographers. Let's talk about studio portraiture, shall we? And let's talk about what constitutes a studio. A commercial studio is, of course, a room, usually with a high ceiling, some on-site catering, an in-house assistant or two, maybe some on-site equipment occasionally with an infinity cove or maybe some north-facing light. Any other room in which you put some lights for a photograph is, in my opinion, a studio of some form maybe with a backdrop on stands to give the impression of being in a commercial studio rather than a grotty or boring hotel room. In all of these cases, the relationship between the photographer and the person being photographed is intense. There's little else going on, and the pressure is on both to perform. That's not easy. I know. I've worked in studios photographing celebrities on many occasions over many decades. It certainly has nothing to do with adjusting a tripod knob. I prefer to work on the outside personally, not within the antiseptic atmosphere of the studio. I prefer to work in the studio of the everyday, where I can work with space, form, colour and textures given to me by the serendipity of location. Sometimes I use a tripod, but the intensity of a relationship with the person I am photographing is still there. It's not about the room, whatever you choose to call it. I recently saw an interview with the CEO and MD of the Delhi Art Gallery in an Indian business magazine. And what he was really talking about in the interview was uh, the lessons that they felt they had learned um, during the COVID-19 pandemic. He was, this question was put to him. Uh, over the past few years, digital platforms such as immersive websites and social media have been playing an increasing role in exhibitions and auctions. What will be the importance of these platforms in future? He responded in this way. Make no mistake, they are the future and will open up the experience to millions of people. Social media has now become a business tool. Digital platforms provide instant access to art. As technology revolutionises, we will be able to experience our museums and our galleries in real time. Perhaps watch artists at work, see exhibitions being mounted, travel virtually to international biennials. We must be prepared to embrace these technologies and offer viewers immersive experiences. Well, I couldn't agree more, and any regular listener to this podcast will know that that's exactly what we've been talking about over the last year. 
Such a shame, therefore, to see festivals promoting themselves and starting up over the following months, over the summer and into the autumn, and really following a tried and tested and, in my mind, redundant formula that was the one pre-COVID. It's great to hear somebody who's thinking in an open-minded and a new way, and sad to see people stuck in the ways of the past. You may and you may not be aware of the, uh, I suppose, anger that has been shown towards the photographer Jürgen Teller online over the last few weeks. If you're not aware of it, let me just read to you a few snippets that I've picked up online. Artist Jürgen Teller took these weirdo photos of celebrities for W magazine and the internet thinks they're very lazy. The magazine did not immediately respond to a request for comment sent via the publication's PR firm. The artist also did not get back to us on a request sent via his gallery. The LA Times called the pictures ridiculous. Vulture dubbed them shockingly mundane, and Artnet referred to them as weirdo photos. Many people on social media too came up with dozens of quick memes, with most focusing on the pictures' slapdash, snapshot-like quality. And don't forget when Teller photographed Kim and Kanye West in 2015 on the grounds of a French chateau in which a pile of rubble played a supporting part, producing similarly outraged and confused results. Another comment. It's at least Teller's second round with outrage over his covers for W. In an intra-gallery scandal in 2018, tweeters took Teller to task for making covers that looked a bit too much like trademark works by his gallery mate, Micheline Thomas. Teller's aesthetic has hinged around breaking the fourth wall between celebrity and non-celebrity by framing his subjects as candid, real people. They eschew the trappings of a glam squad, Photoshop and meticulously detailed creative direction in forming every shot. If you find the images jarring, it's possibly that the overly edited Instagram aesthetic of our time has derailed our judgment. Teller's enduring career, which includes iconic imagery for Saint Laurent, Marc Jacobs and Louis Vuitton, could be attributed in part to the way he frames celebrity and high fashion as a regular and down-to-earth subject. It was a rare stance to take when his career was developing in the 1980s and 1990s. Well, everything I've just said, there are little snippets from various articles I've been reading. Teller said in a recent uh, conversation on the business of fashion, these Hollywood people are so careful of their image and looking right, but there's a wildness when I come into the photographs and I prevail. I first came across Jürgen Teller's work back in the late 1980s in the Austrian uh, magazine Tempo. Intense colour processed work was the flavour of the day and Teller's work was no different, sitting alongside similar work by Nick Knight, Steve Pike and Kevin Davies. Photographers who were also working for Arena magazine and The Face in the UK at the time. 
But shortly after, uh, the new wave, including Mario Sorrenti, Corinne Day, David Sims, Glenn Lutchford and Elaine Constantine were on the scene and heavily influenced by Nan Golden, Larry Clark and Sam Haskins, Cowboy Kate and other stories. They started to bring a completely different aesthetic to the photographic genre within portrait and fashion. Teller had kind of disappeared for a while and then when he reappeared in London you could very easily see the influence of this kind of anti-fashion work. What I always believed was that uh, and also because I knew them at the time uh, Glenn and David and uh, Elaine and Corin they were all very much working from an aesthetic that seemed very true to their upbringing. With Jürgen's work, to me, it seemed to be as if he was angry with fashion and that it was all about that destruction. And throughout commercial photography, commissioned work, whether it be advertising or editorial, there's always been a a desire for the commissioner, I suppose, to seem clever, to attach themselves to work that's perceived as art. I actually feel that Jürgen Teller has continued with that and allowed people to buy into that idea with his work. By being anti-fashion, he's become fashion. So actually, the conversation around whether or not these pictures are good or bad, successful or unsuccessful, in my mind, it really doesn't matter. What you need to understand is the process by which Jürgen Teller is working and the context in which he is putting that work. He knows these people. He was once married to a fashion stylist. He understands how it works. And he's playing that game. So by criticising the work, you're actually just playing into his hand. Do I rate these pictures? Not particularly. Does it matter if I rate these pictures? Not at all. What matters for Jürgen Teller is that the people who want to buy into him are buying into him. This week we welcome to The Strand telling us what does photography mean to him, Gary Carlton. Born in Sheffield in 1967, Gary trained and later worked as a teacher in London until 1990 when he enrolled on a course in photojournalism at the London College of Printing. His first documentary project on young offenders in the UK was published by The Observer in 1992 and he continues to work with The Observer and The Guardian publications today. Carlton has travelled extensively in Russia, the African continent, USA, Japan and around the UK to produce his stories for editorial publications as well as many leading NGOs and has produced numerous personal projects, including working men's clubs, which received a discretionary grant from the W. Eugene Smith Memorial Fund, and his project, Tuberculosis, Captain of the Armies of Death, which was awarded the 50 Crows International Award for Documentary Photography and Medal of Excellence. Carlton is currently working on a long-term mixed-media portrait project, Citizens of Our Time which documents the anti-fracking campaign in the UK. 
He was an associate member of Network Photographers, a participant in the World Press Masterclass 2000, and his work has been exhibited at Visa Pour Limage in France, in San Francisco, and also in the UK, where he's currently based in Yorkshire. What does photography mean to me? Well, the quick answer to that is different things at various times for the last 30 years. The 23-year-old me sitting in his student bedsit, finalising his dissertation and wondering whether a career in teaching was for him, would tell you that it's about the journey and bearing witness. I consumed the newspapers and watched the TV news. I'd watched the collapse of communism, glasnost, the Velvet Revolution and the most notorious emblem of the Cold War, the Berlin Wall, was being dismantled. Politics was changing and so were the geographical borders right on my European doorstep. These were indeed historic moments and moments documented with intoxicating images of people facing up to power and breaking down physical and political barriers. Stories of government repression now overcome and new beginnings about to take place. These moments were enough to want me to take that journey. I'd lived through Thatcher's Britain of industrial decline and the NUN's final stand at the Battle of Orgreave was just a few miles from home. From my bedroom window, I'd watched and listened to the silencing of our industrial heritage. But I was too young to register the consequences then. And now with the future ahead and a collection of photography books in my possession, it was the journey with photography and the bearing witness to such historic events that the 23-year-old me wanted to pursue. Alongside sport, music and art, photography is the fuel of life and like the love of a certain song, we don't need to say or understand why we like it. We can feel photographs. Sometimes what we see is beyond words. It's enough just to feel. It may be the interplay of light and shade. It may be the dash of colour. It may be a person's look. It may be a play of humour or a certain moment. It may be a mirror of our own personal situation. It's okay to place our own reflections on the image. The still image has the power to make us stop, look and feel what we see. Being a photographer changes you. It gives you the rather strange habit of looking at everyday scenes and recognising possible images. It makes you watch how the light changes. It makes you watch the interaction of people, predicting a moment, a gesture, recognising a particular composition and wondering what may happen. It engineers patience and it makes you walk slowly. Most important of all, it has made me talk to and engage with people much more. I've probably spent more time talking with people than photographing them, and I'm a better person for it. During the early days of carving out a way in photography, we photographers would gather as kindred souls, fueling ourselves on coffee, discussing work, equipment, stories, and generally trying to plot our way through the business itself. These were not wasted hours, but hours throwing out thoughts and ideas, learning how to read images, past and present. These were invaluable times. As photographers, we're not makers of history, we witness it, we document it, we do, though, in our choice of subjects, compositions and chosen moments, interpret events as historians have done through time. Photographs have been embedded in our cultural life for over a hundred years. And whether it be our own family albums, historic events, or the multitude of heroes and villains on this timeline that we have lived, in their own way, these visual records have become moments of reflection and education. Our ability to reckon and deal with the future depends on how we can learn from the past. 
Recently, I've been asking myself, why am I making these photographs and wanting an answer that simply does not benefit only me? My approach has become more collegiate and collaborative. Everyone has a story to tell, and these stories can add to the public's understanding of a place. My visual journey is becoming simpler in tone, but richer in context. Media platforms old and new can help us to inform, educate, and importantly, advocate. Photography has been an evolving journey, and we are all the result of our experiences past, which inform and influence our direction. And as I sit next to an archive of images, I can recall the many faces and voices who I would never have met if that 23-year-old me had not followed his dreams. We can't photograph everything, but we can indeed use photography to open up conversations about things. Thank you very much, Gary, for your contribution this week. And I couldn't agree with you more. That idea of photography opening up conversations about things is the essence of why this podcast exists. And I suppose why I do it every week. For me, it's an ongoing conversation and dialogue. Uh, some really interesting stuff, I'm sure you'll agree, um, picked up on there by Gary and, and reflected upon. One of the things that I thought was particularly interesting to me was the idea of the photographer who walks slowly. What a great sort of reflection and point that is. I'd never really considered that before. But of course that's the case. The true photographer is, is alive to the moment and alive to everything that's going on around you. So, of course, you would walk slowly. I also liked his use of the phrase there, fuel of life. I thought that worked really well. And the idea of feeling photographs, that idea of the emotive connection with photography, so important, isn't it? I think it's what we're probably all hoping for with our work, is to try and get some kind of a motive connection with the viewer or the person who sees the image. And of course, I suppose that idea of conversation, again, it's what this podcast is about, but that idea of photography starting with the conversation, that the story begins with the conversation. It's the starting point for everything. There's a phrase I often use, and I think it's particularly relevant to Gary's contribution this week and to this podcast. It's this. Talking is good, but listening is better. I hope you agree with me about that. Anyway, come to the end of this podcast. Thanks again for listening. Thanks for all of your support for the podcast. It continues to grow every week. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And also, of course, grateful to all of the contributors who bring so much to every episode with their analysis, their reflections, their experience and their ideas. Anyway, that comes to the end of uh, this particular episode. And so it just ends with those words which remain so important as we're still in a COVID world. Please just take care. Thank you.